0: Thank you so much for being with us again. Among the revelations in the last report from the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom is that Iran is not only a country of particular concern for religious persecution of Christians, but it's also the world's chief trafficker in anti-Semitism. This, in addition to being the leading state sponsor of terror, as President Trump has pointed out, exporting dangerous missiles, fueling conflicts across the Middle East, and supporting terrorist proxies and militias like Hezbollah, Hamas, and the Taliban. Now, in light of the dangers posed by this rogue regime, how does this radical Islamic nation fit into Bible prophecy? We're going to explore that today with Bible prophecy expert, Dr. Mark Hitchcock. He is associate professor at Dallas Theological Seminary and serves as senior pastor of Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. He's written many, many books and is out with a new great one called Showdown with Iran. It's so good to have you here. Mark, how are you?
2: Doing great. It's good to be back with you again. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Well, we should talk about Iran. I, I think that m- many times when Iran is not on the front burner and other things are on the front burner, we tend to pretend, uh, OK, they, they were up, upset for a while. Now everything is kind of gone away. But what what is your sense of the importance of Iran, especially when it comes to Bible prophecy?
2: Well, you know, Iran is obviously um, the, name, the number one sponsor of terror in the world today. Um, you know, they're trying to cross the nuclear finish line. Um, and I think with all the things that are happening with coronavirus and all that, as you said, it's kind of they've kind of been put on the back burner. But, um, you know, here just a, a few days ago or not long ago, you know, the president, you know, gave permission to shoot down these boats that are harassing boats there in the Gulf yep. um, by harassing uh, U.S. naval vessels. Um, You know, Iran has put a a satellite into, a military satellite into space. And from a biblical perspective, you know, Iran is mentioned in an end-time prophecy in Ezekiel 38. It says that, you know, when Israel has been regathered to their land, a coalition of nations are going to attack Israel in the end times. And one of those nations in Ezekiel 38, verse 5, is Persia, which, of course, became Iran um, in 1935. So, you know, that's an incredible um, validation of, of the inspiration. Bible, that so long ago, you know, God predicted the rise of this nation in the end times. So I think it's a very significant uh, event that's taking place, the rise of Iran, and really their their tentacles spread throughout the entire entire Middle East. They're, They're the dominant nation, really, there in the Middle East today, and the dominant enemy of Israel and the United States.
0: Well, you're right about that. And it's curious because there are obviously a lot of different rogue nations around the world and there are a lot of bad actors in the Middle East. How have they become kind of this flashpoint nation? I mean, we hear about them, the the Ayatollah talking about Israel as being the little Satan and America being the great Satan. But what, what has transpired, would you say, Mark, to make that nation as important as it is in terms of our attention to it and how dangerous it has become?
2: Well, there's several things. Um, one is the size. It's a, it's a large, most populated um, country. They're not an Arab country. They they're speak Farsi. They're, they're different from the Arab nations around them, but they're a large nation. Uh, they also have pursued uh, uh, nuclear weapons, which many of the other nations have not done. They have a lot of proxies. They have Hezbollah right in, in Lebanon, right just north of Israel. They have Islamic Jihad down in Gaza, just on the west coast of Israel. Uh, They themselves are in Syria. Uh, They've used kind of the whole Syrian civil war as an opportunity to come in to to the nation of Syria. So they're really right there on Israel's northern border. Uh, They're also, a lot of their territory lies right along the Persian Gulf. So they control a lot of that, and that na- little narrow Strait of Hormuz, where so much of the world's oil goes every day, um, they're they're right there on the Strait of Hormuz, controlling that, um, intimidating ships that go through there. So just kind of their their size, their geographical location, pursuit of nuclear weapons, their proxies they have all over the Middle East. But they have a lot of proxies in Iraq as well, who've been attacking American forces there. So it's um, all those things together make them really the most Dangerous nation in the world in many ways. Now, they're not the most powerful, but uh, I think in many ways they're the most dangerous nation because with a lot of the things that are happening over there now, I think too the the leaders over there could kind of try to say, look, you know, we've been having a lot of uprising over here, a lot of economic problems due to these sanctions. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole coronavirus. We don't know how bad it hit Iran. We think it hit them very badly. They could try the focus off of those things. And obviously put the, you know, to, to attack Israel or attack America and uh, to kind of get the focus off all the problems they're having back home. So there's a lot of ingredients there that make them very, very dangerous.
0: Right. Well, you know, since we pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal in 2018, we still are not safe from the possibility of Iran getting a nuclear weapon. I mean, how soon do you think that could be a likelihood that that's something that continues to concern a lot of people?
2: I don't think we really know. Again, they put up a, a military satellite here some time back, and we didn't really know that they had that kind of technology. So what else don't we know? Um, you know, there, there's all kinds of different ideas about how what the breakout period is for Iran to get a, to get a nuclear weapon. But we do know that they're working on this missile technology to, to have a delivery system when you get the nuclear weapon. Hmm. Um, we know all of that's going on. We also know that this October, um, October 23rd, Uh, the embargo that's been on of them not being able to buy or sell weaponry is going to be lifted unless Mm -hmm. something happens in the United Nations, which is fairly unlikely. So that's going to really, I think, put – a nation like Israel to the test, because are they going to go ahead and try to launch a preemptive strike against Iran now, or are they going to wait till Iran has access to all kinds of more advanced weaponry in the future, and then risk the idea of having to make a preemptive strike or fighting a war with Iran? So there are a lot of factors that... that people, experts kind of putting 2020 this year kind of in focus of saying, you know, something very dramatic had happened this year over there with Iran.
0: Man, what, what, theologically, what is driving them? Because that's a significant part of it as well. Their Islamic theology, what they believe about the end times, their view of Israel. How, how are they seeing the, you know, the gaining of nuclear weapons as something that is important for them to do just from a religious standpoint?
2: Well, Iran is nation, obviously they're an Islamic nation, but they kind of hold to a particular brand of Islam, It's it's they're Shiites, you know, the, the majority of Muslims are Sunnis, about 85% in the world, they're Shiites, but they also hold to this form of Shiism called Twelver Shiism, and they believe that the 12th Imam, who's a descendant of Muhammad, that he went into hiding when he was a young boy back in the 9th century, and so since he went into hiding as a, a boy, obviously there wasn't a 13th or a 14th or a 15th Imam, he was the last one, yeah believe he's going to come out of hiding at some point in the end times. And uh, they believe he's going to come in a time of bloodshed and warfare and chaos. And they believe that that they can hasten his coming. They can actually accelerate and speed the coming of their Mahdi or their Messiah. So all of that plays in as well. Um, one, one expert, I'm sure many of the listeners know who Joel Rosenberg is. He's called the leaders there, the Mullah regime, uh, an apocalyptic genocidal death cult. Mm. So that's a pretty descriptive term, yeah. but it's very apocalyptic. Of course, it's genocidal. They want to wipe out the Jewish people. And again, when we're talking about Iran, one thing I always like to clarify is we're not talking about the people of Iran. You know, the, the people there, we obviously have nothing against the people there. There's actually a lot of revival spiritually that's going on there, which is a wonderful thing. Yes. But we're talking about the Mullah regime that runs the country, uh, the Ayatollah and others. But they hold to that brand of Shiism that's very radical, very apocalyptic. And so, you know, that those are not the kind of people that you want to get their hands on nuclear weapons. No,
0: not at all. Is their is there primary target Israel? Because as I mentioned before, their statements about the little Satan and the great Satan, they want us gone too. But would they go after Israel before they went after us?
2: Well, I think probably they would. Um, you know, they're, they're they're they. What they do is they're they're always having a lot of pinprick attacks against the United States. You know, they'll go in and hit hit some places in Iraq. They'll harass ships. They, yeah. I mean, I think they know better than to take on the U.S. Even when we killed General uh, uh, Qasem Soleimani. Yes. Uh, you know, they didn't really do anything directly to back back from that. And but what's interesting too, Soleimani was the head of a, a part of the Iranian military called the Kudz Force. And Kuds in their in their terminology means Jerusalem. Hmm. So he was head of this force called the Jerusalem Force, basically, which shows you how much they hate Israel and want to take over Israel. Um, you know, they'll, they'll always, you know, you see it on the sides of their missiles, it'll always say "death to Israel" and so. Forth. So they they want us out of the way because we're the main defender and protector of Israel. But their That's main right. the main prize, the main goal they're after is to wipe Israel off the map.
0: Well, we'll be right back. Mark Hitchcock, his book is Showdown with Iran, and we'll return right after this. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update.
1: COVID-19 is creating a surge in unplanned pregnancies as Americans shelter in place. Meanwhile, preborn crisis lines are flooded and we have quadrupled our patients seeking abortions. Your help is needed now more than ever as clinics had to cancel spring fundraisers. Would you consider sponsoring an ultrasound to introduce moms to their preborn babies? When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she'll choose life 80% of the time.
0: Preborn centers are the alternative to planned parenthood, and this May through a challenge grant, Preborn is able to send $100,000 to clinics if this goal is reached. You can help call 85 85- Five four zero two baby now. One ultrasound is just $28, but this challenge will double your efforts. To donate, just call eight five five four zero two 402 baby That's 855 402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. Once again, call 855-402-BABY or there's a banner to click at Janetmefford.com. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty Health Share, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month and there's no net Network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty Health Share is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855 565 Five six five twenty five sixty one, or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt that's libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt
2: you're listening to janet mefford
3: today and now here's janet
0: Welcome back. Thank you for being with us. And we are delighted to have with us Dr. Mark Hitchcock, Bible prophecy expert, author of the new book, Showdown with Iran, Nuclear Iran, and the Future of Israel, the Middle East, and the United States in Bible prophecy. Such important days we're living in in many, many ways. And you had referenced Ezekiel 38, Mark, as a very key passage when it comes to the future of Iran. Talk a little bit, if you would, about this Gog and Magog and the the showdown with Israel and and what the Bible predicts will happen in these last days.
2: Yes, Ezekiel 38 and 39 are incredible chapters in the Old Testament written over 2,500 years ago, and it predicts that once Israel is regathered to their land and they're at rest and living securely, which that's interesting because that doesn't seem to be the condition they're in now. <laughs> yeah. uh, when they're at rest and living securely, this, this coalition of, of nations, Russia is mentioned there, I believe, in Ezekiel chapter 38, it's, it's called Rosh, um, then you have uh, Persia mentioned, which is Iran. Then you have four different places that are mentioned. they are geographical places that are in modern-day Turkey. So it's a coalition of Russia and Iran and Turkey. Libya is also mentioned. Hmm. Um, in this passage, Sudan is also mentioned, um, again, under its its ancient name. So... All of these nations that are kind of nations that surround Israel, also some of the, the uh, nations of Central Asia, could be even nations like Afghanistan and others, they're, they're going to attack Israel in the end times. <laughs> and, you know, what we see today, we see those, those nations really forming alliances with one another, and all of them have a deep hatred and a deep-seated desire to see Israel wiped off the face of the earth. And we, again, as I mentioned earlier, we have Iran and Russia in Syria, right on Israel's northern border. So it's just, what we see today is not the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38, but I think it's the buildup or kind of the setting of the stage, if you will, (laughs) for this invasion to occur. And the Bible says when these these nations do come down into Israel, which I believe will be during that first half of the coming seven-year tribulation period, that they're going to be wiped out by God. They're going to be just incredible devastation as God... Annihilates these armies as they invade Israel. And of course, that's going to be a, a great turning point in many ways in, in the future and in the end times for a lot of different events. But it's, you know, what we see today is really the setup for that, and you really couldn't have a better setup than what we see today. Um, You know, there's also a mention in the Bible of, you know, this rise, the the Antichrist who's going to rise in the end time is going to make a a peace covenant with Israel. And it's during that time this invasion will occur, I think, because it says they're living at peace. But also, you know, what's the other thing everybody wants in the world today? We want peace in the Middle East. So all of these ingredients are kind of coming into place at the same time and converging that I think, you know, lead me to believe this invasion could be not too far along on the horizon.
0: Right. Now, do you see anything in those particular chapters of Ezekiel that would indicate any sort of nuclear strike? I know that's difficult to look at old, old passages of prophecy and see direct in a word saying that. But do you see anything either in Ezekiel or some of the other prophetic passages in Daniel that would indicate that Iran in many ways would be able to get off a nuclear strike on its enemies, Israel or us?
2: Well there you know there's a lot of passages in the Bible that people take to refer to nuclear weapons you know like you know the uh, in in uh, Revelation chapter eight, it talks about you know the those seas turning to blood, and it talks about wormwood and uh, these different things like that. Um, you have in a passage in Zechariah that's a very it looks like devastation, like nuclear weapons. Second Peter chapter three. Um, there's even even in, in uh, Ezekiel 38, as these armies are destroyed, some people would take that to be some kind of nuclear destruction, but it really wouldn't actually be Iran launching that. It would be them being on the receiving end of it, mm-hmm. but when I read those passages in Scripture, I take those just to be divine judgment from God Himself. You know, d- judgment that God is bringing, not some man-made thing like a nuclear weapon. But there is a difference of opinion about that. But there's nothing concrete that we could point to. You know, would say this is you know a, a prediction that Iran is going to use nuclear weapons or Russia or any other nation. At least, not that I see in Scripture.
0: Yeah. Now, now going back to Daniel, I had mentioned Daniel before, and I know you addressed this in your book as well. Daniel talks about the rise of the Persian Empire. As you say, while Babylon was still ruling, he accurately saw the future fall of Persia to Greece. This occurred, what, a couple hundred years after Daniel died. But do we see anything in Daniel that gives us additional information about Iran's possible role in the end times?
2: Well, not, not really per se, but what we have there is we have these ancient prophecies of, of Persia's rise to, to power. Then they kind of you know go off the scene for a long period of time. Then we go over to um, Ezekiel, and uh, you know, he's the one who really predicts this final great rise of, of, of Persia or modern-day Iran in, in the end times. Um, that's really the main passage, I think, that deals with their ride, the final rise you know, during the tribulation period.
0: Right. So now, when we're looking at this time period, and you say it's very likely that we're in the buildup to it, do we have any idea or indication from Scripture on what needs to precede the events of Ezekiel 38 and 39?
2: Well, like I mentioned earlier, you, know, you have to have Israel in the land. right? And that's why we often call the regathering of Israel in 1948 and the continuing uh, regathering, we call that the super sign of the end times because you have to really have Israel in the land for all these other prophecies to be fulfilled. And so you know, back in 1948 when Israel was founded, about 6% of the Jews in the world lived in Israel. Now it's over 40%. Mm. So they're continuing to come back to their land. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is... Israel not only has to be regathered, but they have to be at rest, because um, it says it's going to happen in Ezekiel 38 twice when yeah. Israel is at rest and living securely. And that they're also going to be very prosperous when this takes place, which Israel is a very prosperous nation today. So what we're waiting for, I think, for the fulfillment of this is Israel to be at rest and living securely, which again, I think goes back to like a passage like Daniel 9.27, which speaks of the antichrist this future world ruler making a a peace treaty a covenant of peace with israel for seven years and at the middle of that we know it's going to be broken by the antichrist so that's why i put this invasion somewhere in that first three and a half years of the coming tribulation because we know they're going to be at peace then and at rest at least temporarily during that time period so again israel is in the land they are very prosperous they're not at peace yet but we see you know presidential administration after administration, secretary of state after secretary of state, trying to hammer out some kind of a peace deal and forge this peace agreement there. And it's not too difficult to see that at some point in the future, something like that's going to come in, come to pass and be put in place.
0: Oh, for sure. Well, also, people are looking at the times we're living in right now and saying, well, well this is just out of the blue here. In the, we're in the middle of this pandemic. We've never experienced anything like this before. And as you mentioned in the book, you had mentioned some of the, uh, Ezekiel 38, the references to some of the nations that will come together in this battle against Israel. But America is not referenced in scripture. And a lot of people have, have noted that and said, well, where is America going to be in the end times? One of the possibilities you've suggested for America not being mentioned is economic implosion. Boy, everybody can wrap their arms around that right now, can't they?
2: Sure. I mean, you know, what's going on right now, it's unparalleled. Of course, one of the things that we've kind of run out of adjectives to use, you know, we've, I've heard the word unprecedented, I think more times than I've ever heard it in my life, um, surreal, you know, strange, weird. I mean, you know, we, we've yeah. kind of run out of ways to describe it. But New normal. One of the things that's unprecedented is the, the spending of money. Ugh. It's you know tri- Every every time you turn around, it's it's trillions and trillions of dollars. And you know what is this going to do to the economy in the future? Not only of the United States, but the whole world. Yes. And again, you look at in the Bible at, at like the the third horseman of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and you know you have runaway inflation uh, that's just going to basically gobble up any amount of money that any person can make. So. Uh, you know we we see again kind of the seeds of those things being planted, and a lot of these things go together, really warfare, famine, you know uh, uh, economic implosion all those things um, really kind of go hand in hand and, and one of the problems is for America, you get so far in debt you start using all your money to service the debt you, you can't you can 't have a military true, and you become vulnerable, so many of these things really fit together and just a, a massive economic implosion in our country is something that certainly could be part of maybe a scenario that reduces America from our superpower status.
0: And it's so difficult to watch it. I mean, to see everything kind of caving because we've been seeing in the last, I would say, especially in the last decade or even five years, just this moral decadence just go off on steroids. It's it's insane. I, I still can't wrap my head around the Obergefell decision, Mark. This, this is something that's uh, when we're talking about the word unprecedented, which has been overused yeah. to a fault that 's unprecedented i don 't know how a nation can recover from that
2: no you 're right I mean when you 've got um, you know the the um, really sanctioning of same sex marriage in a country you know i 'm sixty years old i 'm not not that old but you know you know years ago no one had even thought of that I mean no. it was the farthest thing for anyone 's mind and to have that now being you know canonized as part of the law of our country <sighs> but also too just the uh, abortion that we have in our nation it's okay. Uh, you know, just ongoing, and and really, people. It's almost with with many liberals today. It's almost a race to see who can be the most brutal. Yeah, uh, you know, to see who can who can push the date push it back. You know, to birth and after birth or whenever. So, uh, these kinds of things, they're they're um, moral indicators. I think not that God is going to judge our country. They're moral indicators that we're already being judged. That's right. Um, God is withdrawing His hand. It's a it's a form of wrath by abandonment um, that we're seeing. If you read Romans one, it's it's when you see these things happening. It's not judgments coming. It's this is part of the judgment. It's the abandonment wrath before the direct wrath yep. comes, and that's a that's a sobering thing for all of us to consider about this country that we love so much.
0: I agree with you there. That's totally right. Romans one is never more applicable than it is right now. I think. But what hope would you give? Mark, right now, we we have the promises of God, which are sure we have the promise of Jesus Christ and his offering of himself for our salvation. How do you comfort Christians in this moment? And how do you warn those who don't yet know Jesus Christ?
2: Well, you know, I always like to say, I read this somewhere years ago, we have to remember as God's people that heaven has an occupied throne. <laughs> Go uh, know, God's on his throne. I mean, you read the book of Revelation, it, it ping-pongs back and forth from earth to heaven, from earth to heaven, and we get these scenes in heaven throughout the book that God's on his throne in heaven. And so even in the darkest times, that's the ultimate truth we have to remember. Heaven has an occupied throne. Uh, there's never any panic in heaven. There's just plans. And, uh, you know, the... the the, the uh, Trinity's never meeting in emergency session. God has a plan. He he knows the future. He controls it.
0: I love Um, that. Yeah, Mark, so sorry we ran out of time, but Dr. Mark Hitchcock, the name of the book, Showdown with Iran. Wonderful book, and so good to have you here. Thank you, Mark, and we'll be right back on Janet Mefford Today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com.
2: This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford.
0: Welcome back. Well, last week a federal judge ruled that California Governor Gavin Newsom had the right to ban churches in his state from opening during the pandemic lockdown in response to that lawsuit from a church in Lodi. Well, now more Christians are standing up and saying we are going to reopen our churches. And opening day, they say will be Pentecost Sunday, May 31st. Now, yesterday you heard some of the great remarks that were recently made by Pastor Jim Franklin of Cornerstone Church Fresno, explaining why he and other pastors have joined together with Advocates for Faith and Freedom and the National Center for Law and Public Policy to oppose the governor's unconstitutional executive order. They have sent a letter to him and to the director for the California Public Health outlining their concerns and urging the governor to change that order before May 31st rolls around. So we're going to find out more about it now from Pastor Franklin. And we're glad to have you here, Pastor. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you for the opportunity, Janet.
0: Yes, well, you still can't have in-person worship services there in California. Does this all come down to the fact that you are considered to be non-essential? Is that what it boils down to, basically?
3: The governor placed us in the same category as sporting events, movie theaters. He put us in the same category as as entertainment, non-essential, which we totally disagree with.
0: Right. Now, before he did that, as I understand it, he did not sit down with churches and pastors and try to hash this out. Is that correct, that he really didn't seek input from churches before he did this?
3: Not that we're aware of. Uh, All the indication we have is that we were just thrown into that uh, group of the also stated. Uh, Now, since that time, because churches have uh, united and because they've come together, we have gotten the governor's attention the meeting last week, his office was in contact with us wanting to know, you know, what was it that we wanted. That didn't happen until churches began to speak up.
0: That's excellent. Now tell us about who all is standing up, because there have been various reports. I know you've been involved. You did a press conference. But there are other churches, other pastors who are standing up with you. Tell us a little bit about all of these Christians who are saying, we're, we're going to open up our churches. This is just unconstitutional.
3: Well, we're part of, a, of an organization, Church United. Uh, which uh, represents uh, over a 1,000 churches and congregations across California of all denominations of all sizes. And uh, they're one that are really helping to spearhead this. Faith and Freedom, as you mentioned earlier, is kind of our legal counsel, along with several others that are standing with them, Alliance Defending Freedom, yes. and others that are standing with churches, uh, small churches, of of a few uh, people and large churches of 20-plus thousand.
0: Well, that's great. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of us thought at the very beginning was, all right, well, we'll voluntarily cease having in-person worship because we want to slow the spread for 15 days, like everybody was being told. What was the point at which you began to say, we've been shut down long enough?
3: I think you're exactly right. At the beginning of this, nobody knew what was about to happen, and the way the reports were coming down is that uh, we needed to close down, not for the sake of the government, not because of restrictions of government, just from a safety standpoint. We care about our people, and this seemed like the thing to do. Now that more uh, information has come out, now that other businesses are beginning to open up, our question is, is not that we want to be treated differently? We just want to be treated fairly. And if hundreds of people can gather under a roof at a big box store, why can't they not gather under our roof uh, to worship God? We just we just want fairness in this.
0: Right. Well, and it, I think you were the one who pointed out that Walmart is not a First Amendment protected institution anyway. So churches ought to have more consideration, if you think about it.
3: Well, this is one of the things our founding fathers recognized in that First Amendment that government shall make no law. They can't restrict, and the courts are standing up for that. I know you mentioned of what happened in the California courts, but I'm sure you're aware of what happened over the weekend there in Kentucky with the federal appellate court of the 6th district who stood against the governor of Kentucky and said the governor has offered no good reason for refusing to trust the congregants who promised to use care and worship in just the same way that it trusts accountants, lawyers, laundromat workers to do the same. Yes. So now the courts at a federal level are beginning to side with us Department of Justice is siding with us, saying you have a constitutional right. You got to do it safe. We want that, but th- that right can't be taken away from
0: you. Has Governor Newsom ever outlined why he put churches in the non-essential category? Has he ever explained himself on making that decision?
3: No, he hasn't. Not in any setting that I'm aware of. And again, I'll point out, as I did a few moments ago, it wasn't until churches began to unite, until churches began to be vocal that we got his attention. Right. And then he began to come to the table to say, well, I right, present a plan. And we have presented a plan to him, and he's got a press conference that I think he, he will announce something, and we're hoping that he will announce that we're going to be engaged.
0: Well, I'm curious to ask you, Pastor Franklin, how your church has been affected by the shutdown, which has now been going on, what, eight, nine weeks? What What is the situation for you as a pastor and for you know the people who attend your church and the people who have had to cease doing open in-person ministry during this time?
3: Well, to quote another literary work, it's the best of times and it's the worst of times. It's the best of times because it's given us opportunity to reach out to our community. We've been involved in uh, handing out uh, food to literally hundreds of thousands of individuals over these last few weeks, not only here in our city but in surrounding areas. And so we've been able to minister one-on-one in those situations. And so for that aspect, uh, it's a good time. Uh, our services online have grown. For now, we're reaching people not merely in our community, but we had somebody Sunday uh, from Germany that was watching, and, and New Jersey and, and other places. So ministry impact has never stopped. It, it is increasing. The worst of times, though, is that people need each other. They need that that support of one another face-to-face. I mean, you can watch a fire on a TV screen and all that looks nice and wonderful, but there's nothing like standing and warming by that fire when it's real. And I think that's what our people are are missing. We're going to get over the COVID-19 virus. People are going to recover from that, I believe. It's a real thing. We take it seriously but there are marriages that are hurting, there are people that are going into addictions, there are lies that are being destroyed, that if we don't do something, and we think that's the mission of the church, if we don't do something, we may not get those people back.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Well, and you think about what Scripture says about not forsaking the assembling together, you know, with one another in the book of Hebrews, and there is a lot of practical ministry that you just can't do online in the same way, not to mention you can't have communion, you can't do baptisms. I mean, it comes down to really restricting worship when you begin to extend that deadline really into an indefinite period of time. Isn't that basically what Governor Newsom has said? It's kind of indefinite at the moment.
3: He's given us no indication of when that will be. His first was that this isn't going to happen until next year, possibly, or months away. But now that the church has arisen, now that we're standing up, uh, he's now backed that off to where he said, well, it could be, it could be less than a month before we announce something. So I think that's the important of people standing up for their constitutional rights. They have people say, Well, you can't you can't go against the government. You're breaking the law and we're supposed to honor the authority that we have. Yeah. Well in this country we don't have a king, we have a constitution. Yep. And our constitution gives us certain rights. And when the king or the governor or whoever it may be go against that, we have the right in this country to challenge that. And we have a long history in this country of doing that and preachers doing that. That's what Dr. King did when he stood for civil rights. And so when we see our rights taken away from us that, that have a, an impact upon the people that we have committed our lives to serve, we have not only a right, but as pastors, I believe we have a responsibility to stand up and declare that in the right attitude. I'm not angry with, with the uh, governor. I've never met the governor. I don't know the governor uh, personally. But I know that his policies in this case are wrong and somebody must
0: challenge that. Right. Absolutely. What what do you think is the downside of not challenging the order? Because there really are some Christians who look at Romans 13 and don't understand what you just said, which is absolutely correct, that we don't have a king. We have a constitution. But they say, well, we just have to keep on obeying the government. What are the negative consequences of taking that idea to its natural conclusion. I mean, how long will we be shut down if we don't push back a little bit?
3: Well, exactly. And then I would just go to history once again to answer that. Uh, Tell that to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Should have he just sat idly by and said, well, the law says and we shouldn't challenge that? Well, of course not. And in this case, if we give up the authority that the Constitution has given us, uh, as uh, as worshippers, as people who believe in freedom of religion, if we give that up, then we we may not get it back. People often talk about the New Testament church and say, "Well, they met in houses. You don't need to meet together." Mm. And I say, "You don't know your history. The reason they met in houses when this church uh, started in the Book of Acts was because the government was persecuting them and burning them at the stake and crucifying them. Once that was released." They started meeting together and then the gospel spread like
0: wildfire. I love it. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back with Pastor Jim Franklin from Cornerstone Church Fresno discussing reopening churches in California. Stay with us. We'll be right back on Janet Mufford today. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty Health Share, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with membership starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as 199 dollars per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855 560 Six five twenty five sixty one. That's eight five 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 six five twenty five sixty one. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org dot org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org dot org slash jmt. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update.
1: The COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact for the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. This past week, a woman shared she feared being pregnant with so much going on in the world. The abortionist gave her an RU-46 pill to terminate her pregnancy. Our Preborn Center was there for her, however, reversed the abortion pill and saved her baby. Our crisis line is flooded with women with similar stories.
0: Preborn Centers are the alternative to Planned Parenthood. And this May, through a challenge grant, Preborn will be able to send 100 dollars to clinics if this goal is reached and you can help. Call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. One ultrasound is just $28, but this challenge will double your efforts. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a pre-born banner to click at Janetmeffer.com. Welcome back. It is so encouraging to see so many churches in California now standing up and saying we will be reopening our churches and we hope Governor Gavin Newsom of California will rescind his order and change it up so we don't have to defy this order that the governor has put out, but just allow us to exercise our First Amendment liberties. And that's what it's all about. I'm chatting with Pastor Jim Franklin of Cornerstone Church Fresno. He and a number of other pastors have joined together with some other organizations to oppose this executive order that is really unconstitutional. You made a great point. I wanted to return to this just for a moment, Pastor Franklin. Before we went to that break, you had pointed out that people will discuss the early church in the book of Acts and try to say, well, what's the big deal about worshiping in houses? That's where the apostles did. And you pointed out, well, right, because they were being persecuted and eventually we did get buildings. But beyond that, I thought it's not an appropriate thing for people to say because we can't even get together in houses in some states in this country because we have to social distance. And so we, we're, we're not even able to do what the apostles did in many cases.
3: No, we're seeing that. I was just on a, a call with, uh, with our city officials. That was a question that came up. Well, so, you know, what are the restrictions? They don't even know. I think you get to the, to the state level, they're not even for sure. We know at the national level, the disagreements that has come, well, is this safe or is that not safe? Do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Is it 10 people or is it 12 people? And so in those types of when people are unsure, then that's where the Constitution steps in and says we can't limit people's rights. We've got to give them that opportunity. And someone tell me the other day, it says, well, you know, when people come back together at church, then they're, uh, they're going to hug each other and, and they're going to violate the social distancing and everything. I said, why will you trust that person to go to a Walmart or a Costco or a big box store? You'll trust them to go there and see their friends and their neighbors, but you're saying you can't trust them to come to church to do that? Right. Because if you're putting that, that tag on it, that is religious discrimination.
0: Absolutely. That's exactly right. So talk a little bit about May 31st. I know this is Pentecost Sunday that you guys have designated as the day you will reopen. Tell people a little bit more about what you have planned and especially what you have planned if the governor does not fix his order before then.
3: Our our ultimate goal is to keep people safe. As As a pastor, uh these are not customers that are coming to my church. These are the people that I've sat in hospital rooms with waiting for a doctor to come to give them good news or bad news. These are the people that I've married their their children. I've buried their relatives. I've I've sat with them and laughed in the joys of their life and I've cried with them in the tragedies of life. If anybody cares for the people who walk through my doors, I as a pastor who have dedicated my life, I've been here over a quarter of a century. I care about those people. I do not want to do anything that would in any way harm them or put them at risk. But in the same sense that I know I'm smart enough, if the people at Walmart can figure this out, I can figure this out of how to keep people safe. So no, it won't be a mass service where we'll come back in as we did before we shut down. We'll have social distancing. We won't have, to have child care at the very beginning. It will be a limited opening. It will be uh, scaled down, but it will give people the opportunity to gather together in a building uh, to be able to worship the Lord together, to hear the Word of God. It is somewhat symbolic. I recognize that but I believe it offers hope to the people of God that the church, although it never has shut down, now is worshiping together. And if we have to have multiple services to accomplish that, then we will do that. So I believe it sends the proper message to the people and especially to the public during this time.
0: Oh, yeah. And it can be done. I'm here in Texas, and we went to in-person church for the first time this past Sunday, and it was so glorious to be back with God's people in person and sing praises and pray together and hear a sermon. It just is not the same. God bless the Internet, but it's not the same. So, yeah, it can be done. And there was social distancing and masks and sanitizing wipes and all the rest. So we were fine. And and it can be done. And I'm wondering, too, if you're taking comfort a bit in the fact that there have been these other lawsuits filed in other states where these churches have prevailed. Do, Do you think that will ultimately work in your favor if it comes to legal action over this issue?
3: Well, I think ultimately it will go to the Supreme Court. These will be challenges that will take an all the way there, and I have confidence in the Supreme Court now we're out here on the left Coast, yes, so uh, our court system out here is a little bit different, so it may be some you know uh some rough water at the very beginning as some of the courts and judges have decided here in California. I think once you leave the left coast and you get back more to some common sense and these appellate courts, as we saw there in the Sixth Circuit Court, and then to the uh, Supreme Court, we feel very confident in the Constitution.
0: Good. You know, one of the other things that the attorneys with whom you're working have pointed out is the executive order violates the First Amendment because the order is not narrowly tailored to serve the county's interest in preventing the spread of coronavirus. Can you comment on that aspect of your objections?
3: Well again when the, the the governor set this out this is all uh, unprecedented we've never been here before at least in our current history And so he's kind of making up as he goes. I I believe the governor has the best interest for the people. I I believe he he wants to care for people. I just think it was a knee-jerk reaction, and he overstepped that. And we've seen that with other governors and other officials that have said, well, I didn't take the Constitution into mind when I did that. We just want to remind him there is a higher authority, and we've got to bring it back under that individual rights that are given to us by our uh, by our Constitution.
0: How is your congregation responding? I would imagine that they're with you, but what are you hearing from other Christians since you came forward with this announcement?
3: Oh, I'm 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 the best thing since sliced bread and, and I'm the devil himself. <laughs>
0: oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> both know. both at the same time.
3: <laughs> oh. Well, and I think it's because of just the nature of the climate, sadly, that we're in here that we all everybody runs to opposite extremes in that. Yeah. And says, Well, you know, he's endangering his people and other people. He's standing up for his rights. And I think the real truth is right there in the middle i want what is best for my people and i believe that not only their physical well-being but I believe in their spiritual well-being, or I wouldn't be the pastor of a church. Right. And I believe that it is just as essential as them getting good uh, physical food, that they get good spiritual food, and something happens when we come together that can only happen when we are there. So, yeah, I, there's mixed. Some pastors are saying, well, you're rushing it in that. And I think it's very important for pastors and for Christians out there. At this time, we support one another. Our decisions will be different. People will open at different times. If someone did open on the 31st, God bless them. Every church is different. Every situation is different. I trust that pastor and trust that congregation. I think what we've got to do is stand together in unity and say, yes, but we do believe the church should be open and we have a right to be open, and then let individual congregations decide for themselves what is the best time to do this safely.
0: That's smart. Is there any sense that you have, we we all know how COVID-19 has been a very horrible thing for our country indeed the whole world we know that there have been a lot of deaths and we still know that the death rate is relatively statistically small compared to the number of people who are recovering is there a sense in which you look at this and say this isn't exactly the black plague perhaps we're being too fearful not your church but but society as a whole
3: well, I think when we look at the projections that were made at the very beginning, and I think that's why we all had that quick reaction, oh, we've got to shut down, we've got to do something. How many people were going to die? Our governor said that you know here in our state, the vast number of people that would be impacted and affected by this and, and end up getting it, well, those numbers thank God, did not come out to be true. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we acted in caution at the beginning, but now everyone recognizes there's so much more information that is out there. We need to act upon that and make our judgments act upon the current information, not only information that we had at the beginning of this thing.
0: Well, that's great. I know also there is this declaration of essentiality of churches and, you know, kind of a movement of sorts to get pastors together. What about those who are listening who say, I want to get involved in this movement and I want to stand up. I'm in California and I want to be able to join together with you guys.
3: Well, our law firm has has put together a great site and a great declaration, faith-freedom.com, faith-freedom.com. Uh, people can go there, they can see that document, they can sign on to it if they'd like to be a part of it, to declare that we are essential. And obviously, we're looking for people here in California, but I think it's something, uh, a movement that could go nationwide.
0: Excellent. Are there any dangers that you've heard of that you would have any sort of police pushback if you go ahead with your reopening of your church service on May 31st and Governor Newsom did not change the order in time? Do you fear any sort of legal or even police consequences whatsoever? Or are you are you kind of confident that they're not really going to arrest you or anything like that?
3: Well, I've, again, I'm not an attorney. I just play one on the radio, so I don't know <laughs> the legal aspect of it. But uh, there is that possibility. And I was talking to a, a pastor, what happens if they do? And I think we have to, we have to realize that is a possibility uh, that that could happen. The likelihood of it, I think, is very, very slim. But the, but the reality is, yes, you know, that could happen. The the governor could send the highway patrol. It would have to be a uh, the county's not going to enforce it. The city has already said they're not going to. So it would have to be from the state. Very unlikely that that would happen. Now, yeah. fines and other repercussions, that's another story.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens. But we'll be praying for you. I'll give out that website, faith-freedom.com, if you'd like to give your support, particularly if you are a pastor or a church member there in California. You can check it out, faith-freedom.com. And we'll be praying for you, Pastor Jim Franklin of Cornerstone Church, Fresno. Thank you so much for standing up for our rights as Christians under the Constitution. I really salute you for doing that. And thank you for being with us.
3: Thank you, Janet. It was a joy.
0: Oh, for me too. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us on Janet Mefford today. And we'll see you next time.